Hashtag SAFMBTH. It is now nine minutes after four o'clock and we're in conversation next with Sanusha Naidu, political analyst and senior research fellow at the Institute for Global Dialogue. The ANC will appeal the court ruling ordering it to give its CADA deployment committee records to the Democratic Alliance within five days. The court said the ANC's decision to refuse to give the opposition party access to the information is unlawful. If the ruling stands, how would it affect the governance and political parties deploy and how political parties deploy into strategic positions? Sanusha, good afternoon and thank you so much for making time for us. Let's start off here. What do you make of the court order first? Uh, good afternoon, Aldrin, and good afternoon to your listeners. I mean, it's always great to be on the show. I think it's quite a, it's quite a telling and it's not an unprecedented decision because if you look at the ruling that the judge had uh, uh, attached to the to to the decision to uh, ask the ANC to make these documents available to the DA. Um, it's based under the Promotion of Access to Information Act, and that in itself says that they, they you know in that context um, does the judge then see the ANC's internal documents based on how it defines and it applies cadre deployment uh, linked to the state, and if it has that kind of linkage in terms of the impact that this should be in the public domain, mm. then the promotion of access to information act is, uh, is then being uh, is then being interpreted on the basis to say that the ANC is the ruling party. As much as this may be internal documents and internal policy dynamics and policy in, uh, orientation of the party, it has a direct uh, impact on the state because of the way it is being implemented or applied, and therefore it falls under this this, this PIA Act. So it will be very interesting to see um, how the ANC has takes this, this, this decision and this ruling on appeal, and what legislation they, they would cite in terms of saying, well, I think the judge may have, uh, either. I wouldn't say, I, I think the judge's interpretation of PIA has to be done in a specific way, and it will be very interesting to see how the lawyers will argue that. Yeah, um, and and also for me, the other part is uh, the documents that the that the Democratic Alliance is seeking. How different are those documents to the ones that were submitted to the um, State Capture Commission of Inquiry? Because there also we were told that there's certain information or certain uh, or no, we were actually told that <laughs> there were no meeting records that were being kept. So no yeah. minutes were available, but there were just mm-hmm. minutes available prior to twenty twenty eighteen, I think. Yeah, I, I can't t- talk to that because I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure uh, in terms of that alignment you're talking about between the. Sorry, can you hear me? Yes, 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 we can hear you. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I, I'm not 100 uh, percent. I haven't looked at that in terms of the state capture report, but mm. I think it does have a very, very important uh, synergy, if that's the right word to use. Because what you are now arguing, if you look at the. DA's application, they're actually going to that time when uh, President Ramaphosa was deputy president. Mm-hmm. And of course, these were, these were issues that were being discussed. And if you cast your mind back to the Zondo Commission, as you rightly point out, it is that question of what is uh, your, your minutes of that and how is it then being uh, brought into cabinet and into the, into the bureaucracy of the state? I think that's a very important area because it also opens up the corridor or the gray corridor of uncertainty in terms of how the party is 
kind of linking it back to your bureaucracy of the state and how that impacts on the effectiveness and the efficiency of the governance and the architecture and the implementation of policy in terms of the state itself. So coming back to your original question about what would be the impact on governance, is it that you have to professionalize your 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 your, your public service? Is it enough to just say that we have to have legislation that gives the bureaucracy a much more career part professional development? You know, in other countries, to become a civil servant, you've got to follow a whole trajectory of uh, exams, and uh, it's a career path, so to speak. And uh, that career path is then set in the context of how civil servants are then taken into the bureaucracy of the state. And I think this is something that it will, it will talk to some of the legislation we see in Parliament, but is that legislation being ventilated enough if, this, uh, if there's, a, if there's a, a corridor of uncertainty between the party's internal documents around cadre deployment and what's happening within the state? Mm-hmm. And we know that, for instance, looking at the research that has been done by various institutions, including government institutions, that is, looking at the question around uh, cadre deployment, can't remember whether it was the Public Service Commission or whether it was the um, National School of Government that mm-hmm. came up with a proposal that said do away with cater deployment and rather yeah. use the merit-based approach. But the ANC's yeah. argument has been that, but we are using a merit-based approach to this. But then the question <laughs> then comes around the transparency of it. Yeah, I mean, I would think that if they are using a merit-based approach to the way in which appointments of civil servants and uh, appointments of people within uh, the architecture of the state, you know, the, the, the bureaucracy of the state is taking place, and these are key. These are key individuals that actually will actually push policy and process policy and implement policy going forward in terms of all of these um, the, 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 the bureaucratic red tape or the kind of people that just sit in there and they're not getting the job done. I think it really needs to be clearly spelled out by the party. What is the merit-based approach? How are you doing it? What's the methodology? What's the transparency? What's the accountability? But what is the impact in terms of, you know, if you take a, a kind of uh, KPI, you know, what is your performance appraisal? And this is something that the president had brought out in his presidency in terms of consequence management and that kind of approach, where he talked about ministers uh, being assessed around benchmarks. And, 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 and performance delivery and, and assessment. Now, do, do you then do this in the broader context? So I think the ANC also has to be much more clear and coherent and cogent about what is the merit-based approach. Because if you're saying you're doing it, then you need to basically put it out there to show how it's been done and what is mm. the methodology in terms of how it's being implemented. It's such an interesting one because then you also think about, and the court also expresses itself on this, and that is if there, for instance, was a potential candidate who would then be able to go to court and argue on the basis of irrationality why that appointment Mm -hmm. was wrong and why they should have been Mm -hmm. considered Mm -hmm. but then the Mm -hmm. party on the other end arguing that but we are the governing party so we need to deploy the right people that we think are the right people to advance um, let's say for instance the manifesto that the party used to canvas to become the governing party Indeed, Eldred, I think this this ruling is a litmus test for a number of different avenues within the legal context, but also in terms of testing how our bureaucracy is functioning and what are the the inherent institutional bottlenecks that need to be addressed in terms of implementation of policy. So the, the question of 
whether you're putting the right people in the right job or whether you're putting it on the basis of of, of, of how it's aligning to um, the, the, the corridor of uncertainty, whether it's people that you feel should be there, but then you need to give them some kind of benchmarking because it can't be that we feel that this person needs to be there because that's the right person for that job. But if after three years or one year or whatever, uh, you know, in any job that you go to, you have a probation period. And a probation period actually gives you a sense of what it is that you need to perform in terms of your job description, but what it is that you need to do in terms of your KPIs and so forth. So if you're treating it as a typical job that actually is about efficiency, effectiveness, and the functionality of what your job description says in the ads and whatever, then you have to basically start thinking about a much more um, hands-on approach, if that's an appropriate way to put it. It cannot be this kind of... um, this kind of vagueness around what the methodology is or the vagueness around the fact that, oh, we put the right people in the right job. We don't know. So I think this is a litmus test for a number of those avenues, and it will be very interesting to see. Uh, for me, I'm keenly interested to understand what would be the, uh, the counter-argument in the appeal. And the final one is um, now on... From your analysis, do you think that the that that the cater deployment committee of the ANC tends to overstep um, the mark? I know the the argument mm. that came through at the commission of inquiry as well was that um, it merely makes proposals, but as it has mm-hmm. been indicated, um, if you look at the power dynamics that are at play, it's the deputy president who heads the deployment committee, um, and if mm-hmm. that proposal is made from the deployment committee that says appoint such mm-hmm. and such a person, what are the mm-hmm. chances of that person not being being deployed? However, though the party does say there are instances where people haven't been haven't been deployed, and then again, the court says. Mm-hmm. Um, makes reference then to what uh, Gwede Mandashe said during the commission. Comrades, mm-hmm. once deployed, are expected to work on behalf of the ANC movement mm-hmm. in the public service and parastatals. And here you're speaking about the deployment of people who are public servants and not necessarily MECs, ministers, people in the executive. Yeah, yeah. I think the latter point that you make about this notion of are you serving the state or are you serving the party is very critical in how do we disaggregate this issue of the uh, deployment, the cadre deployment committee in the ANC. Because if, the, if it's just about making re- proposals, recommendations, and it makes that, and it has to go through, due, through the necessary channels and processes uh, and, and go through the necessary vetting within the party, then I think the statement made by, by, by Gwedi Manchasha is a little bit in that area that I referred to earlier as the Grey Corridor, because then it becomes a question of who are, who are you accountable to? Are you accountable to the state or are you accountable to the party? And because I think there's this whole dilemma of where the party ends and where the state ends and vice versa, it becomes almost this kind of, um, this, 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 this kind of, you know, revolving door where you're not certain that your accountability and your and your and your line manager or your or, or who actually is the executive authority that actually is overseeing this process is it the party of the state and i think this is something that we have to seriously look at so i, I think that within the the, the 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 party itself i think the the way the process works also needs to be given a lot of internal reflection and, and much more clarity 
Thank you so much for your time. Sonusha Naidu, political analyst and senior research fellow at the Institute for Global Dialogue.